All right. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 is one of my all-time favorite texts, uh, not just for Christmas, but for the entire year. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 11. Verses 5 through 11. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. This is what we read. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for sending Jesus, who humbled himself to the point of death, so that we might be rescued. Father, I pray that we see His glory this morning and that it changes what we do and what we say. Father, thank You for Your Son. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Alright, there's three things that I'm going to try to accomplish over the next few minutes. The first thing is I'd like us to know a few facts about Jesus. Know a few facts about Jesus. As a matter of fact, we're going to see three facts that we have to know. And the first one is that Jesus is fully God. The second one is Jesus is fully man. And the third one is Jesus is Lord above all. All of those things are equally and at the same time true. Jesus is not like you or me or any other person to walk the planet. Fully God and fully man at the same time in one person. That's why he was able to do what he said he was going to do and accomplish what he said he was going to accomplish. And he is reigning and ruling, and one day every knee will bow. There's three facts that you need to know about Jesus. He is eternally the Son of God, who became man and will one day have every knee bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Those are the three things. This past week was finals week. Thank goodness we are on this side of finals. But preparing for it, I sat as I was watching Ava play basketball. One of her teammates had a study guide. And she would get extra points if she completed the study guide. 225 questions were on this study guide. It was a packet. And I started to look through because I had a little confidence. Last year, I was teaching sophomores and I had covered biology. And I passed several of those tests to help my students get through. And I thought, you know what, I know a little something about biology. She was taking biochemistry. I should have known then, I should have stopped. Started to look through the packet, got to finally some questions I recognized. Subatomic particles, how are they charged? I had to Google, if you've seen the commercial with the dad looking up answers and then giving them confidently. That's what I did in the gym. And I know that protons are... Positive. Electrons are? And neutrons? Yep, those are the three answers out of the 225 I could help her with. 
If I took that final, I would fail miserably. Now here's the thing, whether I know biochemistry or not, not a big deal. What I know about Jesus, eternally a big deal. And these are three facts that we have to hide in our heart and in our minds. Jesus is fully God, Jesus is fully man, and he's Lord above all. But not only do I want us to know some facts, I also want us to stand in awe of who Jesus is. So mom's upstairs uh, teaching the lesson and she has pieces from the manger scene. And every year growing up, we would walk through the Bible Christmas story. Right? And we'd read it from Matthew. We'd read it from Luke. And all of the characters of Christmas would show up from the wise men and the shepherds and Mary and Jesus. We lost Angel Gabriel a few years back when she fell and cracked. And we had to throw her away. You'll see the donkey's missing two ears. But every year, we made it through the Bible story. And it was painful. You want to know why it was painful? Because sitting right there were all of these gifts wrapped up. And as a kid, I just wanted to get to the presents. I think sometimes we spend our lives always excited about things that do not deliver, missing the glory that belongs to Jesus. So I just want us to slow down just for a little bit today and catch a glimpse of the glory that belongs to Christ. How many of you guys have seen the movie Sandlot? I would hope most of us have seen it or are familiar with it. Saying like you have this group of playing baseball in the backyard. There's this fence and behind the fence is this dog known as the Beast. Right? And every once in a while, one of the kids would hit a home run over the fence. And once the ball's over the fence, it's gone. You don't recover a baseball from the Beast. Well, they ran out of baseballs. But one of the main characters, Dad, had a baseball in a glass case. And he ran and got that baseball and came out and everything was fine. Until they hit that one over the fence. And he goes, ah, oh, my dad's going to kill me. And they're like, why is he going to kill you? We'll find you another baseball. He's like, you don't understand. It was signed by Baby Ruth. <laughs> Found out this. Babe Ruth had an autographed baseball that was sold in January of 2020 for $183,000. It's pretty expensive. Probably shouldn't be throwing the ball around the diamond and playing with kids in the backyard, right? It's too valuable. Sometimes we come to this Christmas story. Jesus became man, and we've heard it, and we've heard it, and we've heard it, and the familiar becomes taken for granted. I want us to see how valuable, infinitely valuable, Jesus leaving heaven, taking on man, becoming man, born in a stable, how glorious that is, how valuable that is. Without Jesus coming to us, there is no any of us getting to him. So I want us to stand in all of that, which leads to worship. And then the third thing I'd like to accomplish today is we've got to follow Jesus' examples. You see that in verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And here's the, the neat part. Philippians 2.5 happens right after 1-4 through 4 and right before verse 12. And in that, you see the unity of the church. And I don't know about you, but if you've seen the news, the church, our country, people in general, are very divided right now. And that will always be the case when your eyes are off of Jesus. And so Paul here is urging for unity. And how does he say do it? 
He says, well, follow the example we have in Christ. And then later on in verses 12 all the way through verse 18, here's the example of how you spread the gospel. You do it without complaining. So if your heart's full of division and your heart's full of complaining, you know your eyes are not on Jesus. You're not following his example. If anyone had anyone to complain about, it was the Son of God. And he never did. It reminds me of Charles Barkley. And listen, I'm a big fan of Charles Barkley. I love how he says what he feels. There's not much of a filter with Charles Barkley. And in it, in 1993, Nike made an ad for him. And he said in the ad, and it was very controversial at the time, he said that I'm not your role model. I don't get paid to be a role model. I get paid to wreck havoc on the basketball court. And he goes, my job is to play basketball, not raise your kids. And people were all up in arms, and it was... It was uh, after a very controversial event where in New Jersey there was a racist fan making racist comments and Charles Barkley tried to spit on him. He missed the guy taunting him, saying the racial slurs and hit an eight-year-old girl, right? (laughs) Man, that is Charles Barkley, man. He goes, well, listen, your kids don't have to follow my example. You're the parents. You should be the example. Well, Philippians says a lot about who should be your role models. They name guys like Timothy and Epaphroditus. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But the perfect example, the perfect example for us to follow is Jesus. So my question is, whose example are you following? Could someone look at your life and tell that you're following in the footsteps of Jesus? That's what this text is getting after. That's what Christmas every year reminds us of. The example set by Christ, how much He loves us, how far He went to rescue us. And so let's dig in, trying to do those three things. Number one, Jesus is fully God. Look at verse 6. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Jesus is fully God and for all eternity the Son of God. He was there in creation. He's upholding the universe by the word of His power he is eternally God and so when we celebrate Christmas I think sometimes people forget before Christmas where was Jesus he was eternally reigning and ruling in heaven with the father with the spirit fully God and you see verse after verse how Jesus and the Gospels write this out. John 17, 5. And now, so Jesus is praying right before he goes to the cross. And John 17, 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And so when you see God creating in Genesis, he's saying, let us create. Let us create. Let us. Who is the us? It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is eternally God. And that's very important to understand when you realize the links God went to to rescue us. You see in 2 Corinthians 4.4, the God of this age, who is Satan, has blinded the mind of unbelievers. Satan is actively keeping people from seeing the glory that belongs to Christ so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. When you see Jesus, you see God. 
Colossians hits this point heavily. Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1.19, for God was pleased to have all of His fullness dwell in Him. Colossians 2.9, for in Christ the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Jesus never for a second ceased to be God. Matthew 1.23, this is what we read. We read this last week. What does Emmanuel mean? A little bit louder. God with us. And the angel was saying, hey, when Jesus comes, it's Emmanuel. God is with us. Wherever Jesus went, God with us. And then you see the glory in Hebrews 1.3. If you're taking notes, this is one of those verses we need to hide in our hearts and in our minds. Hebrews 1.3. He, being Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purifications for sins, He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Hebrews 1.3 is a perfect snapshot of Philippians 2, 5-11. The radiance of the glory of God came to purify us from our sin through laying His life down. There's nobody, nobody like Jesus. And then we see, He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing. What a radical statement. Jesus did not come to have you serve Him. He doesn't need us for anything. He came to serve. To give up His life. And you see this again and again throughout His life. Jesus laid aside His glory, laid aside heaven, and took on flesh. Our redemption depends on our Savior laying aside His glory and coming to rescue us. If Jesus stays in heaven, we are eternally separated from God because no one could bridge the gap. Our sin separates us from God. And when we couldn't get to God, God comes to us. That's what makes Christmas so important. Every Christmas is a reminder of the humility of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's born in Bethlehem. It's not a huge city center. It's not Jerusalem. It's not Rome. It's Bethlehem. And they got there because there was a census. Somebody in power said, you need to move here. We're taking account for everybody that lives in our country. You need to move here. And when he was born, there wasn't a magnificent parade like you would think for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's placed in a manger. There, there's no room in the inn. There, there's no room in the hotel. There's no motel for him. It's not a palace. It's a manger. And then he lives a couple years, and then finally some wise men show up because there was a star a long time ago. And they worship him, but then there's a ruling going out to kill all the baby boys. And they have to run for their lives. That's how God enters humanity. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody that's a big deal shows up, I think it would be radically different. It'd be in the most important city. 
and the biggest and best places, and the nations would come and bow before him. But they don't. And that's what we're reminded of every Christmas. The humility that belongs to our King. I was watching a, a movie the other day, and it's called The Darkest Hour. Darkest Hour covers World War II and how England was getting ready to be bombed and almost invaded by Germany. And you have Winston Churchill trying to make all these important decisions with rescuing people from Dunkirk. And he's going on about his life and all of a sudden he needs to hear from the people. And so he goes down to what's called the tube. Basically, it's like a subway system. It's a railway cars. And he jumps on board with these passengers and they're shocked that Winston Churchill's there. And he looks at him and he goes, what's the matter, guys? Prime Minister never rode with you before? And obviously the answer is no, the Prime Minister doesn't come down here. You, you see, here's the scary part. Jesus showed up. God is with us. And people missed him. Most of the people on the planet missed Jesus the first time. Most of the people on the planet are missing Jesus right now. But they will not miss him at the end of history. And in between that time, those that know him and have seen his glory need to spread the news. Don't let people miss Jesus. You see his humility when you see that Jesus is fully God. But then you see the sacrifice when you consider that Jesus is fully man, look at verse 7 and 8. So what did Jesus do? He didn't account equality with God, something to be grasped. He laid aside his rights. He laid them down. And I think that's an amazing thing when I think about it. Um, there was a, a fight. It's been now a couple of months. And it was, it was two freshman girls. And I break it up and this girl was aiming for the girl. She was, but she was terrible at aim. And I took a couple shots. And I thought, I outweigh this girl by about 200 pounds. I could pick her up, take her inside, and we'd be done. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to retaliate, obviously, with a student. But I'm just thinking, this could go really bad for people. And then I started to think about Jesus. And, and so let's, let's get this right. So Jesus was spat on. He was beaten by Roman soldiers, mocked by the crowd and the soldiers, nailed to the tree, and Jesus never once retaliated. He was asked question after question by the religious elite, made fun of by King Herod and Pilate, and yet never said a word. And he just keeps walking. Cross on his shoulder, lays his life down. You see, when we say he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, he could have said one word and everyone ceases to exist. Yet he lays his life down. When you see that Jesus humbled himself, Jesus was the only one that could humble himself. Rome couldn't humble him. He could have called on just a few angels and wiped out the entire empire. King Herod and Pilate couldn't touch him. The soldiers couldn't humble him. The religious elite couldn't humble him. The high priest couldn't humble him. Mom and dad couldn't humble him. The crowds couldn't humble him. They were yelling, crucify him. The only one that could humble Jesus is Jesus. 
The only one that had any right to have any pride in his life is Jesus. Never messed up. Never made a mistake. The sinless Lamb of God. Perfection personified. And yet he humbled himself. And we see how far he goes in verse 7 and 8. Made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. How low does he go? Becomes obedient to death. Lower. Even death on a cross. There's not a worse way to go out. And when you see Jesus on the cross, you see at how far he goes to rescue his people. And so at Christmas, what we celebrate is this biblical truth. Jesus, who is eternally God, took on flesh, became man. He had to pay for sins. He had to be fully God and fully man. No one else could pay that price. No one else could write that check but Jesus. It's interesting. C.S. Lewis in his book, Miracles, wrote this. In the Christian story, God descends to reascend. He comes down, but from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity. But he goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world up with him. One has the picture of a strong man stooping lower and lower to get himself underneath some great complicated burden. He must stoop in order to lift. He must almost disappear under the load before he incredibly straightens his back and marches off with the whole mass swaying on his shoulders. Jesus went down all the way to the cross and rose all the way up to the throne. And with him comes redemption. With him, our ransom has been paid. That's what Matthew 20, 28 is all about. Jesus says, I haven't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom. When you see the glory that belongs to Jesus, fully God, and what he laid down, the sacrifice, the humility of going to the cross, fully man, stand in all of those two truths. Loved by God. Loved enough that He laid aside His glory, comes to earth to be nailed to a cross. 2 Corinthians 8-9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, through, that though He was rich, yet for our sakes He became poor, so that you, through His poverty, might become rich. My prayer is that we know what that verse means. That we know what that verse means. Jesus, who is rich, becomes poor so that us who are poor, poor to God, we don't deserve God. We don't deserve to be in the presence of God. We deserve to be separated from God forever. Jesus takes that on the cross. Remember when he prays, Father, why have you forsaken me? Why does he say that? Because the Father's pouring out judgment on sin on Jesus. He pours wrath out on sin. And that's what it means to become poor. Jesus in that moment is spiritually poor. And you want to know what happens there? He's giving all of those who call on Jesus the wealth of knowing God. Our sins are forgiven and we enjoy the presence of God. There is nothing better. This world has nothing to offer that compares to that type of wealth. 
to enjoy the presence of God forever. And that only happens because Jesus became poor so that we might be rich. And then we see the conclusion in the last few verses, 9 through 11, Jesus is Lord above all. This is a very easy conclusion. If God comes to earth and dies on the cross, but He doesn't stay in the tomb, something changes. And this is where we see what's called the glorification. Right? We see the humility, the sacrifice, but now the glorification. Jesus right now is reigning and ruling and soon returning. And you won't miss Him when He comes back. Verse 9, Therefore God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Question, is there any other place people could reside? In heaven, on earth, under the earth. Every person is included in this. We know that one day every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And you can either do it now or you can do it later. You can do it now and see Jesus as Savior, or you can do it later after you die and face Him as judge. But make no mistake, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, God had a plan. And in Genesis 3.15, He told us that plan. Satan, you're going to strike His heel but he's going to strike your head. He's going to deliver a death blow, Satan. And that's what Jesus does on the cross. This is God's plan from beginning to end. Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. The promised one from Genesis 3.15 is the one who is King of kings and Lord of lords in Revelation 19. Jesus crushes sin, crushes Satan, crushes death. He deserves all glory. He deserves all praise. Our lives live to His glory is a small thing when we look at the greatness of what Jesus has accomplished. In Isaiah 53, 5-6, this is what we read. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Or, as the writer in 2 Corinthians 5.21 put it, God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. Doesn't that deserve all of our glory and praise? And so here is my question to you. Is your life echoing the glory of Jesus? Because there's a lot of counterfeit gods out there that are buying for your attention. That are saying, hey, this is glorious, and it's not. Saying, hey, spend your time and your money and your attention and your emotions over here or here or here. You'll be satisfied if you have this. You'll be satisfied if you do this. And all the while, we miss out on the glory that belongs to Christ. If people looked at your life, how long would it take to see you glorifying Jesus? And so I want to I conclude with just a, a couple of questions.
Matthew 28, 18. Jesus is the one speaking. He comes to his disciples and he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now here's my question. Have you guys ever heard, growing up, I got this a lot. Usually it was from dad, cutting grass. He would say, hey, I need you to go do this. And I would say, why don't you just send Andrew? Why don't you just send Sam? And he goes, I'm sorry. I didn't know I was asking a question. Right? He reminded me that, hey, this is Brown's lawn care, and I am Mr. Brown. Right? So I'm like, all right, I got it. I got to go do that. I think sometimes we come to this. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. And then he says, what is he, do you guys remember what he says right after that? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and I'm with you to the end of the age. That's what Jesus said. And I think sometimes we see the Word of God and the commands of Jesus as options. You want to know how I know if I'm bowing to Jesus, if I'm confessing Jesus as Lord in my life? Am I doing what he said? We talked a little bit about this last week. You want to know how you're in the kingdom? You're doing what the king says. Now, doing never saves you. But if you know the king, it leads to a life of obedience. If you know the glory that belongs to Christ, if you're bowing the knee, if you're confessing he is Lord, it changes what you do in your life. So are you bowing your knee now? Are you confessing He is Lord now? And you really can't say the answer, you live the answer. And it's marked by obedience to Christ. Secondly, I love this one, have the same mind or attitude of Christ. I don't know what was going on at the church of Philippi, but there must have been some arguments going on. And you want to know what the sad reality is? Churches love to fight. You know, we've had coffee for a couple of weeks now. My guess, if coffee doesn't show up one week, somebody will get mad. Right? I had to watch Balin today. She got mad there weren't any donuts. Right? And a couple other people. But it's amazing what churches fight over. Color of carpet, style of music. I mean, taking out the drop ceiling would cause issues in some churches. What color the walls are painted? Kitchen? I mean, and the list goes on and on and on of what churches fight over. And none of that, none of that matters. When you look at what Jesus did, like Jesus didn't complain about not having a nice bed to lay on when he was born. He didn't complain about getting beaten by people he created and sustained. He didn't complain when a crown of thorns shoved on his head, nails driven through his wrist and his feet. He just didn't complain. You want to know why he didn't complain? He was focused on two things. One, doing what the Father said. He said, don't let this cup pass, or let this cup pass unless there's no other way. And he prayed three times, and when he realized he, that the cup wasn't passing, he drank it. Obeying the Father to the Father's glory. And you want to know what else motivated him? He looked out for you and for me and all those who would call on him. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. 
And that's the only way we get heaven. And so, just in our time here, it's amazing how we put our interests before others. And that's the natural way to live. It's easy to see when you coach. It's my playing time, my shots. That's what kills a team. It's easy to see as a teacher. So we had finals, and I was working with five students in one class, trying to get them to write one play, one scene, two actors. Not a difficult assignment. All five wanted my help at the same time. That's impossible. Writing five different plays at the same time. No one let the other go first. Eventually they did. But you want to know what? I expect that on a team with players that don't know Jesus. I expect that in a classroom with students that don't know Jesus. You want to know where I don't expect that? In a church supposedly filled with people who know Jesus. And listen, I'm thankful for Redemption Church. I, I don't think we have a divided church. But I want this to be a warning. If God blesses and we grow, and let's say we have hundreds of people, it won't take long till you see division rising up. We've got a good opportunity. We should be very diverse. There's going to be a lot of different interests. And if you put yours first, that's a good way to split a church. And so let this text be a reminder that our attitude will be like Jesus's. We will look out for the needs of others before we look out for the needs of ourselves. Thirdly, this text is most likely a hymn. Verses five through, there was most likely a song that went with, like the songs we just sang, it was most likely a song. Now let me tell you something that's powerful about singing. When you sing a song again and again and again, you can't help but memorize the words. And I'll give you an example. I'm not sure when this was a smash hit, but I know it was. Some of you will remember it. Some of you weren't born yet. Cutting grass with Dad, I'm in the truck every day of the summer, and I don't get to choose the radio station. My dad loved country music. I'm not particularly fond of country music, but he would be on B105 every day. I don't touch it. I learned that. He's the boss. Billy Ray Cyrus's achy, breaky heart was overplayed every single day. It was a smash hit. And you want to know what happened? I got that song stuck in my head every time it would come on the radio. Don't break my heart, my achy, breaky heart. Right? It might blow up and kill this man. Maybe the dumbest song ever written stuck in my head. And if I was bold enough, I'd sing it for you, but I'm not. But you want to know what I would love to get stuck in my daughter's heads? What I would love to get stuck in your heads? Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Now, I can't do it, but some of you could put this to music. But I do know this. All of us can write it down. And what I would do is I would remember the humiliation of Christ, verses 5 through 8, and then the glory of Christ, verses 9 through 11. And put one on one index card and one on the other and keep going over it because I promise you this. With repetition comes memory. And if you can hide this in your heart, I'm willing to say it'll grab a hold of it and change what you do. And then finally, I want to leave you with this. We know how history ends. Every knee bowing, every tongue confessing. You want to know what that does for me? 
That makes the mission urgent. Now, I don't know how many years I have left. Right? I don't, it's a crazy time. A lot of things going on that we have no control over. You want to know what? We never had control over. But let's say God blesses me with a long life and I get 50 years. That's a blip on the radar compared to eternity. But I know in the next moments that I have, I want to be busy about one thing. I want to tell people how far God went to save them. How God became man and died on a cross and rose again and has all glory and power and dominion. And how they can know Him. And they know Him through the work of Christ. That's the message I want to get out. Because right now is the time to bow the knee and to confess that Jesus is Lord. If you wait too long and you go to the grave, when you meet Jesus, it won't be in glory. It'll be a place the Bible calls hell, separated from God forever. And you'll regret missing out on bowing the knee earlier. And so my goal is to tell as many people as I can about the glory that belongs to Jesus and invite them to join me in bowing the knee and confessing the name. And my prayer is that Redemption Church joins us as well. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for sending your son who laid aside heaven, who laid aside his rights to take on flesh, to live among us, to die for us. Thankful that he rose from the grave and that he's ruling and reigning now and will one day return. And Father, I pray for all of us in the room, if we don't know him as Lord, I pray that today we call on him to save us. Father, I pray that you remove the things that keep us from seeing the glory that belongs to Christ. Father, I pray that we're disciplined in getting the word into our minds and into our hearts. Father, I pray that we follow Jesus' example. And I pray that there's an urgency in getting the message out. You're an awesome God, and every Christmas we're reminded at the lengths you go. So help us stand in amazement that Christ came to us when we couldn't get to you. It's in his name we pray. Amen.